You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Thank you, team, for that. Thanks for uh, leading us to worship. We're going to start by reading some scripture. And I want to volunteer to use this microphone to read it so that the folks on Zoom can hear. And also so we can hear here as well. Is anyone willing to read these 11 verses from Colossians? Any volunteers? Thank you, Bethany. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth, for you have, died, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once follow when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have closed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Thank you, Bethany. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I grew up in a... Lebanon, Pennsylvania, in an evangelical enclave. I want the clicker. Thank you. I don't have a map of Lebanon or something, but I just want it. Um, Mom and Dad said we couldn't listen to uh, secular secular music. Anyone grow up in a situation like this? Secular is a strange term, right? In general, it's uncommon, but we knew what it was. We couldn't listen to secular music. And as someone who listens to secular music now, this is like a funny thing to say. <laughs> it's way better than Christian rock. And I, I think there were some really good Christian rock bands, but no, Scott, there's none? Starflyer 59? You know. Yes, I do. I like those. I, I do. I do. I think, I think that the worst... Yeah, they definitely get better when they lose their faith. That's something. Um, so we could only listen to like Christian music, right? And so my sister and I found the local Christian, the contemporary music Christian station, um, Christian Music's Best Mix from the Susquehanna Valley, FM 90.3 WJTL, where, G- where Jesus touches lives, right? WJTL. 
This is their new logo. Lancaster, York, Harrisburg, Lebanon, right? That's where it was. And we became inundated with new Christian rock bands. And I, I would eventually kind of, uh, there was a Christian rock festival called Creation in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And there was the main stage. And I, I kind of, there was another stage called the Fringe Stage. <laughs> so I hung out there more. And... And then there was another Christian music festival in Pennsylvania that Scott Hatch started. Raise your hand, Scott. He started it. Purple Door is what it was called. I actually went to Purple Door with Scott Hatch 12 years ago or something, right? 13 years ago. That was the last one I was at. Does this still happen? We should bring it back. No? Okay, no. <laughs> We're not doing that. But one of the most popular Christian acts was called DC Talk, and it was a, it was a hip-hop trio for a little while. DC meaning from uh, Washington, right? That was the idea. And in the mid-90s, they came out with this record called Jesus Freak, and it was very popular. It sold millions. I think it was a platinum record. It sold a lot of copies. And of course, I bought the CD for my uh, disc man at the time. Which is a side note. My, 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 my kid... Elaine came up to me the other day and she goes, Dad, what's a Walkman? And I was like, whoa, what kind of history books are you reading? <laughs> so I explained what a cassette tape was. Because they don't have no... I don't even think they understand that music used to come on a thing that you put into another thing. Like, they just think it exists. So it's on your phone, right? That's where music is for them. Um, anyway, I bought Jesus Freak and I listened to it. That's how Jesus Freak looked. And one of the songs that came to mind often, as I was reading this passage from Paul, it's very like 1990s, right? Post kind of grunge record. Um, and I, as I was reading first Colossians 3, 1 through 11, one of the things that stuck out to me was this song called, now I, I don't think this is a, the song is called Colored People, which sounds terrible, right? Right now, like I can barely say it. That sounds pretty racist to me, just on its own, you know? Um, it sounds terrible, right? Like, but whatever, we're gonna, I'm going to keep going. It's not like a Nazi anthem, I can say that. But it has some problems. Let's listen to it, though. Let's listen to a little bit of it. It's four minutes long. We'll endure it for as long as we can. Okay? <laughs> we'll play it later after the meeting so you can really hear it. So 1990s, racial reconciliation is really popular in evangelicalism, right? And this song kind of pays homage to that. Um, some of the lyrics, we can get the slides back up. Um, pardon me, your epidermis is showing, right? Their skin. Um, yeah, sure, go ahead. We've got to come together and thank the maker of us all. So it's like this, come together and be happy. Um, and then they say this, we, got, we have a history so full of mistakes and we depend on a holy grace. You know, that kind of... Uh, well, we're all sinners, you know, we've all made mistakes, all of us, no matter our color. That, of course, misses the systemic, racism as a systemic force, right? 
Um, it has, a, it has a, a flaw in that sense, right? When DC Talk acknowledges the harm of a history full of mistakes, the solution isn't justice. It isn't uh, changing how the world works. It's not bad, depending on a holy grace. That's good. We should do that, but it's not justice on its own. And then they'll go on and kind of make things worse. They say, ignorance has wronged some races, and vengeance is the Lord's, meaning that justice isn't ours to seek. If we aspire to share the space, then repentance is the cure. And then they say, a day in, a day in the shoes of a colorblind man, which is like, if you don't see race, then you're truly liberated. Um, and so their answer is colorblindness, which was really what 1990s racial reconciliation was like. We can come together and we don't have to see and consider each other by our skin color. The issue with that is that it equalizes all of us and forgets that indeed these diverse tones do more than color or cover our bones. But we actually need to do something about that, right? We actually have to see in color in order to overcome racism, not not see in color. We should actually notice race and notice its power, not just ignore it, not just overlook it. And I bring this up because Paul's words to the Colossians lead us to understand a much more systemic view of our oppression and doesn't just jump to the celebration of diversity. Before Paul says... There is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Before that magnum opus, before that statement is said, there's a key part. In that renewal. What renewal is he talking about? Liberation from the powers and the ways of this world, which he outlines right before, as we're transformed. Without justice, there is no reconciliation. You can't skip putting to death whatever in you is earthly, whatever in you is worldly. Put to death the forces that, that um, separate us and oppress us because of our race, because there's no reason to be separated like that but we have to do the work of putting to death. That's the work of justice. We can't settle for being, this is, they call, DC talks as a skin kaleidoscope. <clears throat> we can't settle for being a skin kaleidoscope, right? They'll say, aren't we all human after all? Paul's saying, no, we're all redeemed. Now, the work, we're all renewed now. We're actually um, fully human. We have to see the oppression and then be renewed from it. It's not enough to say Christ is all and in all without doing that work. Christ is all and in all means that God loves all of us. God loves all of our bodies. And I want to share a personal story about that with you, how this doesn't relate directly to colorblindness, but it relates to 
sexuality and sexual orientation. And I bring this up now because in the 1990s, maybe we overlooked race. We tried to be colorblind, especially in evangelicalism. I, I am saying that there are a lot of evangelical churches now that are interested in racial justice more than they were in the 90s. This is a movement that's happening. But we haven't really progressed as a faith in the same way regarding sexual orientation. I'm not suggesting the work is done with race relations. I certainly know that from personal experience. It's not done in Circle of Hope and it's not done in greater Christianity. But we're just scratching the surface of sexual orientation. And I see solutions that are not unlike colorblindness when it comes to overlooking our sexuality. You know, not being defined by our sexuality. Just like you shouldn't be defined by your race. Same idea again. Circle of Hope is now a welcoming place for LGBTQIA folks. But it wasn't always that way as it is right now. I was a 21-year-old cell leader. Which was 15 years ago. I've been in Philadelphia for a long time. I've been like in this place for a while. I just realized that, you know. The first drink I ever had was at the Lost Bar. Right by you. Where are you, Julius? Yeah, right by you. When I was 21. I've been it's a long time ago. Anyway. 21-year-old cell leader, and I knew the Brethren in Christ, our denomination, what, that were leaving, by the way. Um, they were not affirming, and I knew our church wasn't, but I still wanted to welcome everybody. You know, I'm a hope person, positive person. Surely we can do this. I wanted to grow the church. But I didn't know that by inviting LGBTQIA people to my cell, I was actually putting them in harm's way. I didn't know that. So in 2008, I welcomed a few gay men into my cell. They were happy to participate. They were insightful. They were longing for a community. We went to the beach with them once. Like our cell went on trips together. We were doing cool things. I remember this moment I was with them and I was eating a piece of pizza. This is one of my favorite beach tricks. On the boardwalk, you have your crust left, and if you throw it up in the sky, it won't come back down because a bird will collect it. And that's a very nice thing to do. It's good to encourage the seagulls to eat the human food. People like that. I said, watch this trick. It was so fun. I was 21. I'd still do it now, though. So they, but soon they bumped into the limits of our church. We had this old email list. We've been on email for a long time called the dialogue list. And someone on that email list had asked if Circle of Hope was included on a website that listed LGBT-friendly churches. Or whether it should be. And there was a series of excuses that the pastors, I wasn't a pastor at the time, but I was a kind of a pro-pastor person. And a series of excuses that the leaders said why it wasn't. But ultimately, our leaders were obfuscating the truth. We had theological reasoning that wasn't honest about our prejudice. 
I remember one time one of our leaders was saying he, he was deliberately trying to confuse someone seeking a clear answer on LGBT inclusion. They asked the question. He offered an answer that was vague. They said they were confused. And he said, yeah, I'm trying to confuse you. So that was a little uh, moment. I mean, these memories are in my mind and I'm remembering them. Because we had this third way approach to not have a position, to not see sexual identity. And that lack of clarity was disingenuous because when it came to including queer folks, we had plain limitations. We wouldn't include LGBTQI people in membership if they weren't celibate. That was clear. That was an agreement that our leaders knew, that I knew. But at the time, we didn't want to make that stance clear. Why? Because it sounds pretty awful, even then. But when the question was pushed, the dialogue changed. We heard all sorts of reasons for why we shouldn't be having this discussion. We shouldn't have it over email. We shouldn't have it this way. Some of you are familiar with those arguments and, and those, those reasonings and other capacities. And we lost members in the process. The harm we caused, the harm I caused. Because again, I was, I was, I was, the, I was a, the right hand man of the pastors. And it's easy to make a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, your right-hand man. So, so affirming to be in that position. And I like that. I wanted honor, satisfaction, in part because of what my childhood was like, you know? And that vulnerable position I was in was even uh, that impressionable quality that I had could be exploited. But the harm I caused was significant. Our third way approach really didn't work. We weren't finding a path between poles. We simply sided against the LGBTQIA people and refused to admit it. That's what not taking a side did for us. A local reporter wrote a piece about our church. When I planted a church in North Philly, a reporter wrote a piece about it. He was my old college debate partner. It was a positive piece, but then the men that left the church, because we asked them to leave, we took them off the dialogue list and so on. We closed their cell. They told the reporter, hey, our experience here wasn't good. And he wrote a piece about a church that included commentary from the ousted gay members. That happened in December of 2013. Okay. We changed policies to an extent by January 2014. So I want to say two things about that. One, it's a pretty fast turnaround. Two, powers can change when you apply some pressure to them. Okay, that's progress. That's a good thing. We changed. Not all the way, and it took us almost 10 more years to kind of fully move that way. And we're still moving that way. We're still growing. But faced with the harm we caused and eager members ready to take a stand, we drafted a statement on marriage that included a clause that allowed for faithful long-term relationships between couples of the same sex. That felt like progress to us, and it was, and we made, have made more since then. And we regularly updated the statement and kind of probably 
wringed it of all its all we can at this point. But our teachings became more inclusive and more um, affirming, including affirming transgender folks and so on. And now we're committing to listening to the voices that are most affecting, affected and submitting to their leadership. Through that process, I was able to also come out as bisexual and demisexual personally. But it really hurts me, the harm that I cause, not least of which to myself, but to others too. You know, I've, I've personally tried to reach out and repent to those that I harmed. And I'll keep trying to do that. But this experience and the lived experience of LGBT folks convicted me to take a stand, to actually live in this renewal, and to stop trying to find a third way, to stop trying to be colorblind or blind to sexuality. Yeah, we all are human, but we have to remove the forces that dehumanize us. We can't forge a third way when people's lives depend on it. We're putting to death, death. Okay? And these are forces of death, right? Racism kills people. Homophobia kills people. The teen suicide rate is significant. For, and, and, and especially in evangelical households. Okay, this is deadly. We can't forge a third way there. It's not an issue that's between ideological poles. We're talking about dignity in human life. And as Christians, we, we, we wrestle with taking a side. But I think we should. We can. We have to be straightforward about what we believe. Someone asks me, are you affirming? 15 years ago, you take them out to a cup of coffee and offer them a confusing response to a plainly worded question. You know. If we feel shame about our beliefs and that's why we confuse them, maybe we should, maybe that should be a lesson for us and that we're participating in something that is shameful. Christians have to take a stand, Right? And if we can't take a moral stand for the sake of the lives and dignity of people, and, and I believe that's one of the biggest growth edges, is, is rooting out, rooting our choices in people's lives, not reducing them to ideological positions. You know, and we hear this. We see a passage like this. Why are you making your race a problem? Why are you making your sexuality an issue? Put our identities in Christ above worldly identities. You know, many Christian leaders think that race is a social construct, and for that reason, it's not important. You know, a construction is still real. People of color know that our skin color doesn't have an ontological bearing on us. We understand that it doesn't change who we are, but it changes our experience. You know, just because I know I'm not defined by my skin color doesn't mean an ICE agent knows that. Just because I know that that's the whole point of anti-racism. 
we know you shouldn't oppress us because of our skin color, yet you do. So we're trying to change that. Same thing with sexuality. It's not an important part of you. It's not a necessary part of you. And even though these boxes don't exactly fit our sexuality perfectly, and I can tell you that they don't, that doesn't mean that they're not important. That doesn't mean that they don't need liberation and redemption. So much of the meaning that's assigned to my body is socially constructed, but that doesn't make it a less real part of who I am. These constructions assign value, meaning, they purvey pain, and they're inescapable to so many. Even if they don't have ontological weight, they exist as a part of our being. They're still part of our lived experience. So as long as we're on this side of heaven, we have to consider them, even as we inaugurate a kingdom without them. Put to death whatever in you that is earthly. The wrath of God is coming to destroy these things. That's what we're doing as a community. It's not enough to thank our maker for making us different, to declare that we are human after all. We need to make space for our differences and interrogate when we've oppressed one another because of those differences. That's the movement that we're going in. And I hope that we can read this passage from Paul and find the liberating quality of not seeing one another, not oppressing one another because of our sexuality and race, but liberating one another so that we can be a body together. I'm going to pray, and then let's do some talk back, okay? And we're going to do talk back in, let's do it in about groups of four, Okay. There'll be one group of five in this room. And on Zoom, you may speak to one another, and then we'll do a bigger talk back. Is that cool? Want to try that out? Let's pray first. Thank you, Lord, for being present and faithful. Show us how to be and clothe ourselves with you. You are in us and in all. May we see you in one another. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.